First uh, Kings, First uh, Kings chapter eighteen. First Kings chapter eighteen. I want to share a message entitled "Fire Releasing Prayer" out of First Kings chapter eighteen. And I want to, as you're opening your Bibles up there, I want to remind you to get signed up for our couples retreat coming up in uh, October. It's only a couple weeks away. And we want you to be able to take advantage of that opportunity to be instructed out of the Word of God. You know, we have a nice dinner planned on Friday night, and we want you to be a part of everything that we're going to be doing. And so make sure you get signed up for that. Also, we ask you to start praying for our election, 40 Days of Prayer, uh, which started on Thursday this past week. Uh, hopefully you've been praying. Uh, if you haven't, uh, pick a day, pick two days, I don't know, maybe take a week and uh, fast, and uh, you fast as the Lord would lay on your heart, and, uh, but we definitely need to pray every day for this election coming up and everything that's going on in our world in which we live. And we need some prayer like Elijah prayed down fire from heaven, and uh, we want to get a hold of the throne of God, and uh, we want to be able to see God move and do miraculous things in our midst and in the world that we live in. First uh, Kings chapter 18, going to begin reading in verse 30. It says, And Elijah said unto the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him, and he prepared the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, uh, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, Fill four barrels of water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it the third time. And water ran round about the altar and filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, uh, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and thou hast turned their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let none of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to be together this morning. Uh, Lord, it's, it's a blessing to be able to have the Bible in front of us. Uh, to be able to know that the Word of God is true and is faithful to the commands and the will of God. And we're thankful, Lord, we can read about uh, the power of God being released uh, through this man who was willing to pray down fire from heaven. I pray, God, you might give us a sense of, uh, 
the power and the miracle, uh, miracles that can be experienced uh, when the believers in Christ get a hold of the throne of God. And I pray, Lord, that you would hear the cries of your people. You would hear our uh, longing in our hearts, Lord, for revival, uh, for a stirring of God, for a changing of the circumstances in which we live. And uh, God, we want to be able to see this manifested in a powerful way so that the name of Christ will be exalted and lifted up and praised. And so, God, I pray that you bless the preaching of the word of God this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, verse 36 and 37 is our text verse. It says, And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, uh, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and thou hast uh, turned their heart uh, back again. Fire releasing power. Uh, certainly we know that uh, Ahab was king at this time when Elijah is prophesying. Ahab was a wicked king. Matter of fact, when you read of the testimony of Ahab, it says, Ahab, it says that he did more wickedly than any people that was before him, any kings before him. He was a vile, wicked man. But through the prophet Elijah, uh, God would bring his judgment on Israel. He would bring his wrath down on the world and literally in the form of uh, withholding rain on the earth for three years. And the amazing thing is this, of course, Ahab comes to Elijah and he blames Elijah that he was the problem uh, why Israel was suffering rather than taking ownership of his own vile actions uh, and Elijah would place a challenge to Ahab in chapter 18 and verse 19. It says, Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal 450 and the prophets of the groves 400 uh, which eat at Jezebel's table. And so the challenge that Ahab brings before uh, Ahab, I mean Elijah brings before Ahab is to gather your prophets together. Uh, I want a, a standoff here. I want to challenge you. To, uh, let's see whose God is God. And he challenges them to bring those prophets before him, and they could plead to their God, and he would plead to his God, and we would, they would see which God would respond. He not only places a challenge to Ahab, but he gives a charge to the people of Israel in chapter 18 and verse 21, it says, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt you, how long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. And the Lord answered him not a word. It's just amazing to see uh, the prophet of God standing before the people of Israel and giving them a charge. You need to decide. You can't be on both sides at the same time. And people like to stand on both sides of the fence, but the reality is you can't be on both sides. If God is God, then you worship him. If he's not God, then you worship some other God. And Elijah is telling the Israelites that they need to pray and they need to respond to God because he is the true God. The prophets of Baal 
as you read through the chapter, bringing it up to where our text is, would bring their sacrifices and bring their offerings and lay it on the altar. And the Bible says that they were praying to their gods. It says that they were crying out to the Lord, their gods. Uh, they were shouting. They were cutting themselves. Uh, I mean, anything that you can imagine that somebody could do in a religious event to try to appease and get the attention of their gods, the prophets of Baal were doing that to no avail. No answer, no response whatsoever of Baal. Then in our text, in verse 36 and 37, Elijah prays a prayer of just 63 words. He just prays a prayer of 63 words without uh, uh, repeating in uh, repetition, with, uh, without uh, launching out and crying and wailing and cutting himself. He just prays a simple 63-word prayer, and fire falls down from heaven. And I just believe that, that we need to have that type of prayer life where we can get the attention of God because our hearts are so broken, our hearts are so burdened because of the fact that we are standing as a witness against what is right and what is wrong. We're standing as a testimony that our God is God and our God is greater than any other gods and our God can do what he desires to do in the time that he wants to do it. And we need to be able to verbally and visually present that to this world that is so corrupt. And uh, uh, we, with the, the trends that are going on of anti-Christian movements and things like that, I'm going to tell you, Christians, it's going to take fire from God. And it's going to take believers being willing to stand up and acknowledge that our God is real and we're not going to be comfortable in this world. We're not going to slip by the wayside. We're not going to embrace things that are going on in an ungodly manner in this world, but rather we're going to stand for our God and surrender to him completely. Now, there is far too much stuff in going on in the name of Christianity that is nothing but garbage and satanic worship. That's all it is. Elijah, Elijah is confronting these prophets, and they're just jumping all over and doing whatever they can, supposedly in this means of worship and praise, and uh, there's no God that's responding to them. So Elijah prays, and then there's a releasing of fire from heaven. So I want to look at this. I went through and I reread through his prayer and kind of broke it down. I want to expand it a little bit and think about what we see in his prayer that will help us in our prayer life. Since we're doing 40, out, 40 days of prayer and fasting for the election, we're doing 40 days of prayer and fasting for the anniversary of our church. I'll be putting out probably next week a calendar for you that on each of the 40 days of prayer and fasting for our church, there'll be scriptures in reference of scriptures that records prayers that were offered up by people in the Bible. And that way we can have scriptural prayers on those 40 days of prayer and fasting because we'll be praying the word of God. Be praying prayers that were offered up that were in the word of God and be able to get a hold of the, uh, the heavens and let God release his power upon us. So first of all, I see... In verse 36, the first part of the verse, is examination in prayer. Examination in prayer. In verse 36, and it came to pass 
at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. I see, first of all, the examination in prayer is he identifies his heritage. I, th I, I know this, that he's not having, having to remind God who God is, but as he's praying this, he's reminding himself who he is in relationship to the God that he's calling out to. He's calling out to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. We know that's Jacob. And so what, why is he identifying uh, his heritage? Because if you identify your heritage, it eliminates fear. Back in Genesis chapter 26, uh, we need the fear removed from us to be able to trust God, believe God, and pray in faith, believing that God is able to do what he says he'll do. In Genesis 26, in verse 24, says, And the Lord appeared unto him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham thy father. Fear not, for I am with thee and will bless thee and multiply thy seed for my servant. And so God confirms to Isaac that, wait a minute, you don't need to be afraid because I am the God of Abraham. And so it's so important that when we pray, we remind ourselves in our prayers of the heritage that we have. We worship, we serve, we surrender our life, we depend upon uh, the God of uh, that is a God that eliminates fear and he is the God who provides hope when there seems like there is no hope. Now, everything that was going on in the life of Elijah and the life of Israel uh, would de demonstrate a spirit of no hope. Uh, Ahab was wicked. He had not bent his knee before God. Uh, there had been three years of famine in the land because of no rain. Uh, and the people would lose hope. But as Elijah prays unto his God... He identifies his heritage that the God he's calling out to is the God who had called Abraham. He is the God who had provided for Isaac. He is the God who directed Jacob to establish a mighty nation with his children, his offspring that he would have. And so with God, there is always hope. And so we identify our heritage. When we call out to the Lord, don't forget that it is God that you're depending on and it's not on yourself. Matthew chapter 22 in verse 23 says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. How important it is for us to remind ourselves that we do not serve a dead God. We serve a living God. Our Savior died and was buried, and he rose three days later. He ascended up into heaven, and he's coming again to receive us unto himself, that where he is, we can be also, and we serve a living God. And so when I pray, I pray in reference to the fact that, wait a minute, I'm a child of the king. I've been adopted into the family of God, and my heavenly Father won't forget about who I am. So there's an examination in prayer. It identif he identifies his heritage. Then in this verse, I see that he confirms sovereignty. Because he says in the verse, uh, I am the, 
And Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel. That's a declaration or confirmation of the sovereignty of God. Uh, he realizes this, that God is still in control when it seems like everything is out of control. God is still in control when it seems like there is nowhere to turn or to find hope. In 1 Kings chapter 18, just back a chapter here, in verse 22 and 23, it says, Then Elijah said unto the people, I, even I, only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks, and let them choose one bullock for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire under and I will dress the other bullock and lay it on the wood and put no fire under. And so he is acknowledging the fact, I'm reading the wrong verse. I'm like, that sounds good, but that's not it. That's not it. Man, I'll tell you what I'm saying. Man, I could preach on that for a little while, but that's not what I was. <laughs> Amen. Eight o'clock service is the practice service. Amen. <laughs> First Kings chapter 8. There you go. Get those trifocals in place so you know where it's at. First Kings chapter 8. I was thinking, as I'm reading, I said, man, that sounded good, but that ain't what I want. First Kings chapter 8 in verse 22 and 23, speaking in reference to the sovereignty of God. First Kings 8, 22, Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands towards heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven above or in earth beneath who keep his covenant and mercy with his servants that walk before him with all their heart. Solomon acknowledges the fact that God is sovereignly in control. There are no gods like our God. And, and Elijah, when he stands up before the prophets of Baal, uh, when he prays out to his God, he acknowledges, Thou only art God. And because of that, he is in control of all things. I like what Jerry Bridges said in reference to this matter of prayer and the sovereignty of God. He says, prayer assumes the sovereignty of God. I think sometimes when we pray, uh, we don't pray in the mindset of Elijah that, wait a minute, we are talking to the God of heaven. We are talking to the God who changes everything. We are communicating with the God uh, who changes not. And, uh, and, and, this, and he is the God who does not get caught off guard or get surprised by anything. He is the one who is sovereignly in control of all things. That's why Elijah says, thou art God in Israel. Now he goes on, Jerry Bridges says this, when you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head. And so many times we allow ourselves to become so distressed so distracted, so disquieted in our spirit because of what's going on around us. When we do that, we are showing forth that we do not trust in the sovereignty of God. I believe that God is in control. I believe God's going to take care of everything. My life is in his hands. If my life is in his hand, who can do me any harm? 
Uh, we have to trust God, believe God, and live in reality that, wait a minute, God can do what he wants. He can withhold the rain or he can send the rain. And Elijah, when he prays unto his God, he's praying in reference to the sovereignty of his God. So he identifies his heritage in this prayer. He confirms sovereignty in this prayer. Then he reveals a position in this prayer. Notice in, back in our text in verse 36, it says, Let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and here it is, and that I am thy servant. And so the position being revealed, I am thy servant. Let's not forget that the Lord is the master, not us. Let us not forget we don't dictate to God what is to be done we serve God in reference to what it is he wants to do. And so he is the God of heaven and we are his servants. What does that do? Boasting is removed. You know, God is going to do something. He's going to send fire from heaven, but Elijah has nothing to boast about. Amen. Because all he's doing is crying out to his God and trusting his sovereignty of his God. And so when we pray in reference to who we are in Christ... And who God is in control of all things, then it reveals who we really are, just nothing more than servants. At the very best, all we are are servants of the living God. And so it removes all the boasting. That's why when we talk about being saved, we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works. Why? Lest any man should boast. Boasting is removed because of the fact of who God is. And so his explanation, his prayers, is revealing position. I am a, thy servant. Boasting is removed and humility is experienced. And you can't experience a humility until the boasting is removed. And the boasting is not removed until you submit yourself as a servant unto the Lord. In Psalm 116, and just read a couple of Psalms here. In Psalm 116, in verse 16, says, The heavens, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth hath he given to the children of men. We have the earth, we enjoy the blessings that's on this earth because it is God who has given it to us. It is not because of our great intellectual or human physical strength. It is God who has blessed us with what we have around us. And if God has blessed us with that, then he certainly can take it away from us. And Psalm 119 and verse 125 goes on with this. Pastor Duana had picked out these songs this morning uh, for a congregation. He didn't know what I was preaching on. Uh, but all these songs we sang this morning speak to about the sovereignty and the personality of God. And uh, I, was, I was pleased when I saw that. I said, oh, man, that's going to go right along with what I'm preaching on. Psalm 119 and verse 125. Got a new Bible here. It won't open right. Amen. There we go. In verse 125 says, I am thy servant. Give me understanding that I may know thy testimonies. And so as Elijah cries out to his God, He's reviewing his position. I'm just simply thy servant. He is appealing to the God who is sovereign, a God who is in control of all things. He's appealing to the God that brought the uh, famine in the world because of the lack of rain 
and he's trusting that God will empower him to stand against the false prophets of Baal. So I see an examination in prayer. Uh, when we go to God in prayer, let's examine our relationship with the Lord and let's confirm who he is and what our position is. Then I see the explanation in prayer. Because in verse 36, he ends the verse with, that I, may thy, I am thy, that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. And so notice he declares his obedience. I have done all these things. And as we go before the Lord, let's be willing to abandon iniquity in our hearts. Why? Because if I, in Psalm 66 and verse 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So Elijah is making it clear he's confessing his faults. He's making it clear he's humbled before his God. And he's acknowledging the fact that he is willing to be obedient to what God has so commanded. That's why he told Israel that they had to choose. They had to could they had how long you halt you between two opinions. If God be God, serve him. If Baal be God, serve him. Uh, Joshua would have to confront the Israelites in Joshua 24. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. You need to choose you this day whom you're going to serve. And so this matter of obedience unto Christ. Uh, is a declaration that we are abandoning iniquity and we will embrace righteousness. In other words, we've received the righteousness of Christ, so embrace that righteousness that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Psalm 5 and verse 12, it says, For thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous with favor, with that, uh, wilt thou compass him as with a shield. And so God blesses those that are righteous. And so if God's going to bless his people in the life of Elijah, and he will as he'll deliver them, but God will bless us also. So our prayer is a, a, a revelation, if you will, or an explanation of our obedience before the Lord. And not only that, but he desires to be heard. In verse 37, he says, hear me, O Lord, hear me. And it is a cry that he is launching out because of the fact he doesn't want to, and I don't mean this irreverently, but he doesn't want to waste his time in prayer if God's not listening. The amazing thing is, is this, that God does listen to us. And all we have to do is cry out in faith believing. And so he's saying, hear me, O Lord, hear me. Notice uh, uh, at direction. In Psalm 5 and verse 2 says, hearken. Under my, the voice of my cry, O King, O my God, and for I, I'm sorry, for unto thee will I pray. Direction, the direction that you're praying. We don't pray to be heard of men. Uh, we don't pray to be accepted in a movement or in the world. We cry out to the God of heaven that our prayers would be directly to him and him only. Uh, there is no other God or no other means by which you can uh, get uh, the needs in your life met other than crying out to God. And Elijah had a prayer that was directed to the Lord. Hear me, O Lord. Then he acknowledges again, hear me. He wanted, his direction of his prayer is to be crying out to the ears of his God. In Psalm 17, in verse 1, we see honesty says, Hear the right, O Lord, attend unto the cry, my cry, 
Give ear unto my prayer that goeth not out of fiend lips. Be honest with God in prayer. Uh, don't, don't, uh, joke, don't cry out to God and have ulterior motives. I mean, Elijah is completely transparent with his God that he needs his God to do something. He's not only righteous before his Lord, but he's also honest in the presentation of the prayer that he offers up. And then in distress, in Psalm 18, in verse 6, says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him, even unto his ears. And so we desire to be heard. We have the direction of our prayers is sent to the Lord, honestly, sincerely, transparently, desiring for God to eliminate the distress that's in our life. Now, I don't know about you, but there's been a lot of times where I've just had to turn to God and say, Lord, you've got to get this out. It's too much. It's too much to bear. And then I see that we're to be patient in our prayer. Psalm 40 in verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he, he inclined unto me and heard my cry. So being patiently with the Lord, crying out to God, waiting on the Lord, depending on God to respond. And, uh, you know, it's amazing to me that Elijah didn't have to wait very long because when he got done the prayer, the fire of God fell. And I want to be able to have that type of prayer that when we pray something, we get off, uh, off our knees from praying it and God sends the answer right away. But there's times when God doesn't send the answer and that's when we need to be patient and wait on God. Charles Spurgeon said this, If you believe in prayer at all, expect God to hear you. If you do not expect, you will not have. God will not hear you unless you believe he will hear you. But if you believe he will, he will be as good as your faith. Uh, I, I, I think sometimes, and I, I know I'm guilty of this, and I've seen it over the years, it's, it's like we pray prayers and then we put a disclaimer in our prayer to let God off the hook so that we can feel better that if we don't get the answer to the prayer. And I'm like, you know, it's, it's, why are we even praying if we're going to have a means of escape to release God from answering? Is it because we don't believe he hears us? Or is it because we don't have faith to believe he can do what he did in other people's prayers? So I'm going to be giving you 40 days of prayers in the Bible to pray so that you can see, you can pray prayers that were answered by God. And if God answered their prayers, he can answer our prayers. And so pray believing that God hears you. And Elijah, as he's praying, he says, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know. Here's the expectation of prayer. We see the examination in prayer, we see the explanation in prayer, and then we see the expectation in prayer. He says that the people may know that thou art the Lord God. So the revelation of God, he said, I want them to know that you are the God, uh, that they're not going to look at me as the prophet and put me in the place of God. No, I want them to know that you're God. He's wanting God to do something miraculous that cannot be assigned to man. 
He's wanting God to do something that is beyond the comprehension or control of individuals. He said, Lord, hear me. I want you to hear me because I want the people to know that you are the Lord. And so the revelation of God, and I thought about his goodness, his goodness. First Chronicles 17, 26 says, And now, Lord, thou art God and has promised his, this goodness unto thy servant. What they were going through with Ahab, a wicked king ruling. What they were going through with a time of famine in the land because rain was withheld. It is easy in circumstances like that to forget that God is still good to us. And so he said, I want them to realize, I want them to know, I want them to acknowledge the goodness of our God. That the Lord God has promised this goodness unto thy servant. God has promised good things to us. And yeah, we may have to go through trials. We may have to go through difficulties. We may have to suffer persecution. We may be confused and discouraged with things going on in life. But wait a minute, there is still a God in heaven who is good to us, the goodness of God. The revelation of God is not just his goodness, but his uniqueness. Psalm 86 in verse 10 says, For thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone, the uniqueness of God. There, there is no other God in all the cults and all the false religions throughout the centuries and time of this world that can be ascribed to the wondrous things that our God has done, the things he has done for Israel the things that he does in the church, the things that he does in the life of Christians, the uniqueness of God. Psalm 90, oh, I'm sorry, the, uh, the vastness of God. We have to think of the vastness when he says that thou, they may know that thou art the Lord God. He wants to not only re be aware of the goodness of God and the uniqueness of God, but the vastness of God. In Psalm 90 in verse 2 so it says, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. You can, how can you contain a God that is so vast that he, he was in existence before anything existed? He created everything, and everything depends upon him to be able to continue to exist. Uh, and he says, Lord, I'm crying out to you to launch your attack on these prophets of Baal because I don't want any glory. I don't want any acknowledgement. I want people to be aware of the vastness of my God. So bring thy judgment on them. Then we see in the prayer the return of the people. In verse 37, he says, um, May, the people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned, I thought it's interesting how he says this, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Their heart was drifting from their God. Their spirit had rebelled against their God. And Elijah is crying out in his prayer, God, do this thing so that the people will turn back to you again and they'll be aware of the fact that their turning back to God was not their own works or their own character, but it was God turning them back. 
J.C. Raleigh said this in reference to repentance. He said, true repentance is no light matter. It is a thorough change of heart about sin. We have present-day Christianity is pray a prayer and don't worry about sin. You know, it used to be you need to repent of your sin. It is a thorough change of heart about sin, a change showing itself in godly sorrow and humiliation. Today, it's, oh, don't put people on guilt trips. Don't make people feel bad. In heartfelt confession before the throne of grace and a complete breaking off from sinful habits and an abandoning hatred of all sin. Such repentance is the inseparable companion of saving faith in Christ. That's what Elijah is crying out for. God, the people have sinned. God, bring their hearts back to you again. Bring confession. Bring a re-surrendering. George Whitfield, old preacher from years gone by, said this. True repentance will entirely change you. The bias of your souls will be changed. Then you will delight in God, in Christ, in his law, and in his people. I'm confused many times. People say, well, I just don't, want, I just don't feel like going to church. I, I, just, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't like being around people. That's what they say. I don't like being around people. Well, I see you all over Facebook with people everywhere. I don't like being around. Well, you just, I just, there's something wrong with that type of Christianity. There's something wrong with it. And there must be prayers that are being offered up between God's people before the throne of grace with a brokenness and a neediness like Elijah for God to do something miraculous to show himself who he is, to turn the people's heart back to him. Well, he gets at the end of the prayer in verse 37. He says that thou hast turned their heart back again. And then immediately in verse 38 says, then the fire of the Lord fell. So what was the conclusion of the prayer? What was the outcome of the prayer? The fire of God fell down. And I believe with all my heart that the fire of God can fall down today. Now we read about Pentecost, how the fire of God came upon them. Well, wait a minute. I believe God can do that today. If God can send a fire in the days of Elijah, I believe he can do it today. I just believe if God can bring great convictions in years gone by, God can bring conviction today. We need some prayer warriors that can pray down the fire of God. That's what we need. Fire of God fell. But notice the outcome in verse 37, and I mean verse 39, that says, When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. The fire of God fell, but the faces of the people were humbled. There was no boasting. There was no acknowledging and rejoicing in the prophets of Baal. There was no connection with the wickedness that was going on in the world around them. They simply fell on their faces before God. They were humbled because they saw a man who could pray 
and get a hold of God. And when he prayed, the fire of God fell that brought conviction and repentance and they responded because they were humbled before the Lord. My, my prayer, it really is, my prayer for the next 40 days and more than 40 days going up to the anniversary of the church is that our prayer life will become stronger and stronger and stronger to where God does something that's miraculous in your life. God does something that's miraculous in the church. God does something that cannot be explained by human beings. And you say, well, that's ridiculous. No, it's not ridiculous. If God can do that in the days of Elijah, then certainly in 2020, God can see believers praying where fire is released from heaven. You say, physical, literal fire? I don't care if it's a physical, literal fire. Let the fire come down. If it's a spiritual fire that he ignites in our hearts and puts a burning desire in our heart to know God and walk with God, then Lord, so be it. Do it. But we need prayer. That's a fire-releasing prayer. Amen. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'd like for us just to take a few minutes, just two, three minutes, and let's just talk with the Lord about this situation that we're dealing with, the world we're living in, about ourselves and about this prayer that Elijah offered up. If you want to kneel on the altar, you're welcome to do that. But let's just take a couple of minutes and talk with the Lord. I come to you, Lord. I, my heart's stirred as I read great prayers like this in the Bible. And we see a great release of the power of God uh, in response to those prayers. I'm thankful, Lord, that we are still serving the, the same God and we can believe, God, for things that are out of our control. We do pray for our elections that are coming up. We do pray for our church as the anniversary is coming up. Lord, I just pray that in this time of, uh, of uh, spiritual famine, uh, Lord, that you would turn our hearts to you, that we'll have faith in believing uh, that the grace of God is sufficient, and Lord, that you're still on the throne of heaven, you're still in control of all things, and God, you can still do miracles in our midst. And so, God, I pray that you'd bless us. We humbly come before you, Lord, not making demands, but crying out just simply to be heard. And God, will you clean us, will you cleanse us? Will you fill us with your righteousness? God, will you use us uh, to be um, the mouthpiece of God in this world? May we be the one that can give warnings and give hope uh, in a world that just is falling apart. God bless us. We believe you for great things. All things are possible to him that believeth. And so we come in faith believing this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.